0: Welcome to the Naples Community Church Podcast with Pastor Kurt Anderson. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you find this sermon inspires you, builds your faith, and gives you perspective to see God moving in your life. We trust God has great things in store for you. Enjoy today's message. I was so disoriented this morning. They renovated Starbucks. (laughs) I walked in. I didn't know where I was. And uh, I I wondered if they still served coffee. But, um, you know, it's sometimes... Well, it was very positive, beautiful renovation that they've done. And I guess they're going to start doing it all over the place. They're supposed to do it on a regular basis. But it was nevertheless... um, A little unsettling. You know, when you have a routine in place, and something upsets that routine, and rather than just going through the motions, you have to think. I had to think. Where do I sit? <laughs> where, how do I sit? And um, it becomes a, a reminder about how life is always made new. Whether it's at our own choice or the choice of somebody else, there's always something. Always something. And in that is the opportunity for God to do what He does in us, with us, around us, and through us. That we can always be made new. That's the story of the Exodus the people of god were in egypt for some 400 years it says 430 years to the day that the time according to the time that they left and they became very accustomed to it they became accustomed to life that yes they were in slavery but not everyone was in hard slavery but it was easy they had food given to them when they were out in the desert wilderness wandering, they called, them, they called it the flesh pots of Egypt. They wanted to go back. They didn't have to work so hard. They didn't have to hunt for food. It was just there. It was just provided. And it became easy. And they settled in. And God upset all of that. God came in and changed it all by giving them freedom. He also gave them responsibility. By giving them freedom, he made them go through some tough stuff as a prelude to that freedom and then as a maintenance aspect of that freedom. So Moses got the name of God, saw the burning bush, and went to Pharaoh and took his staff and threw the staff on the ground. The staff turned into a snake. And then, of course, Pharaoh's magicians came out. They threw their staffs on the ground. They became snakes. And, and then, of, as we know from—if we've seen the movie—then, then Moses' snake eats the other two snakes. And, and, and yet, this is supposed to this is supposed to convince Pharaoh. When really, this is really about God doing what He must. To use Moses, to use Aaron, simply to front what he is doing. The deliverance of the people did not come at Moses' hand. It came at the hand of God. And so this story is entirely about God. From top to bottom, beginning to end, it's all about God. Hear his word as it comes to us after the plagues, when... Pharaoh is pretty much fed up, and the people of God are kinda ready to to disembark from, from Egypt. Pharaoh sent out for Moses and Aaron during the night. Get out, he ordered, leave my people, and take the rest of the Israelites with you. Go and worship the Lord as you requested. Take your flocks and your herds, as you said, and be gone. Go. Bless me as you leave. All the Egyptians urged the people of Israel to get out of the land as quickly as possible, for they thought, we will all die. The Israelites took their bread dough before the yeast was added. They wrapped their kneading boards and their cloaks and carried them on their shoulders. And the people of Israel did as Moses had instructed They asked the Egyptians for clothing and articles of silver and gold. The Lord caused the Egyptians to look favorably on the Israelites, and they gave the Israelites whatever they asked. So they stripped the Egyptians of their wealth. That night, the people of Israel left Ramses and started for Sukkoth. There were about 600,000 men, plus all the women and children. A rabble of non-Israelites went with them, along with great flocks and herds of livestock. For bread they baked flat cakes from the dough without yeast they had brought from Egypt. It was made without yeast because the people were driven out of Egypt in such a hurry that they had no time to prepare the bread or other food. The people of Israel lived had lived in Egypt for 430 years. In fact, it was on the last day of the 430th year that all of the Lord's forces left the land. On this night... The Lord kept his promise to bring his people out of the land of Egypt. So this night belongs to him. And it must be commemorated every year by all of the Israelites from generation to generation. May God add his understanding to this hearing of his word. And with our Jewish brothers and sisters, they are at the head of the year. Rosh Hashanah started last night at sundown. And it is all part of their remembrance, not just of the exodus, but of God's goodness to them as the, as the people of God carried through for another 3,000 years. And they are, in no small manner, our relatives in the faith. For, the, for Christ was a Jew and Christianity emerged as a sect of Judaism. So God calls upon the people to ready themselves and he gets Israel ready as well as Egypt by bringing about some changes that over which they have no control. That's the plagues. Remember the plagues, the story of the plagues. And the very first plague was an algae bloom in the Nile. In the Nile, it it was red tide. Um, Some speculate that there was red clay in the mountains at the headwaters of the Nile, and that there may have been a landslide and that red clay red in the water. But uh, in all likelihood, the the Nile turning to blood was what we all so affectionately recognize as red tide. And then. From that comes the frogs, the flies, the gnats, the locusts, all of these various plagues, one after another, then death of livestock, and, and on and on and on until we have the, the unfolding of the consequence of these plagues. Now, the plagues come from the hand of God and yet we have a whole range of interpretation of what these plagues mean some, if you go online and look some will argue that it's all purely natural a purely natural unfolding series of events and then on the other hand each plague was an infliction of God specifically an infliction of God maybe there's a bit of a mix or a hybrid between the two But the hand of God is a critical term that references His provision. And sometimes when that hand is withdrawn, it allows consequences to flow. So the story of Noah is the story where God withdraws His hand from the fountains up above above and the fountains beneath. And all of the waters from above and the waters beneath come in to enclose the vault that is creation. But it's God's removing His hands of protection as a consequence of evil in the world that is the result of the flood. Theologically, that's how this is is spelled out. And so the hand of God inflicts the people of God and the Egyptians with the plagues, perhaps it is by a direct strike. Perhaps it is by the withdrawal of his hand, where the protecting hand of God simply allows the consequences of choice to unfold. And we all know that when we do certain things or act in certain ways, we know there are consequences. We know that there are consequences that unfold from from choices that are made. And when those choices are wrong, we can be forgiven. But the consequences are still intact. If I go and punch somebody in the face, well, that person can forgive me, but he's still going to have a bruise on his face. The consequences of the action unfold and unroll. And so the story of the plagues, whether or not it's purely natural or purely divine or or some mixture in between is not really the relevant fact. The relevant fact is God is using the plagues to convince not just the, the Egyptians but also the Israelites that it's time to go. It's time to move. Time to change. And that's hard for all of us sometimes we we have to endure something that is the unfolding of consequences until we until we pause and say I've got to do something different something's got to change something has to change in me and I believe that that is the real force of the plague something had to change inside of the people on both sides of the aisle, both the Egyptians as well as the Israelites, for them to to realize that they need to go through through with this, this deliverance, this movement toward freedom, this movement out of bondage. And so God, on that final night, on the Passover night, God gives them very explicit instructions... He says that they are to go into their homes and they're to slaughter a lamb and take the blood of that lamb and sprinkle it on the doorposts and on the lintel of their house. Now, when they do this, they are given very explicit instructions as to who may be a part of that meal and who may, may not be. And no one who was a part of that could be outside of the nation of Israel. No one could be a non-Israelite in those homes. And if they were going to be in those homes during the Passover, they had to be an Israelite or a converted to Israel into the nation of Israel. And so, very explicit instructions and. A in your face affront to to the Egyptians because the lamb represented one of their highest gods. And then the people, slaves, where are they going to get lambs? Lambs are rare. Lambs are not normal fare. It was a delicacy. Kind of like at the last minute you find out some friends are coming that you haven't seen in a long time. And, and, and you think, I've got to rush to Costco to that seafood bar and get some shrimp and crab and whatever. You know, we've got to get the right stuff for this meal. We've got to be prepared for them. So just as the people of God were about to leave, God puts an onerous burden on them to prepare this meal. And all these moms are thinking, what about the kids? What about our clothing? What about this? What about that? They're preparing to move. They're trying to think of what they keep, what they leave. And God's telling them, go to Costco and get an Alaskan king crab. What on earth? What is this? Why is God doing this? Why does God, as if the people haven't gone through enough up to this point, that they have to do a particular act, particular sacrificial act? What on earth? Why does God have to behave the way he does? Why can't God just do it? Why can't God just get us out of here without all of this extra trouble? It's hard enough. But you know, when we we think about freedom, what we ordinarily do not think about is the sacrifice that is attendant to that freedom. The price that is paid for being free. The price that must be paid if we're going to leave bondage and live free. And we live in a time, it seems, when sacrifice sacrifice among people is, is thought poorly of. Sacrifice is thought to be marginal. And we don't think of those people who are right now on the other side of the planet sitting maybe in real hot weather or real cold weather, hunkered down, Living, living as men and women on the front lines of some conflict, some battle, some danger. We just don't think about that on a daily basis. And if we came to church and, and I said, as the pastor of the church, I said, well, thank you all for being here. Now we really want you to sacrifice some stuff. <laughs> We're not asking for much. Just your whole life. Just all you are, all you have. Sacrifice. When we trivialize sacrifice, we trivialize freedom. If we trivialize the sacrifice that is necessary to do this life, then we trivialize everything. Reminded of life of Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Two days after Hitler was elected as Chancellor of Germany. He got on the radio and denounced National Socialism. Soon thereafter, he was involved in what was called the Confessing Church. This was not the state church of Germany that was going along to get along. It was a church that stood against Nazism. And he was operating out of England, and he was supporting the Confessing Church movement and continuing to be a ferment against Nazism. He went back and headed up a seminary for the Confessing Church of Germany, the Confessing Church, which was made up of some Lutherans and many of them termed as evangelicals, but they were out of the Reform movement, Presbyterians and others, who stood against Nazism. Two years into that, the seminary was closed. Dietrich Bonhoeffer continued to speak all around Germany against Nazism until he was finally arrested for his sedition. And as one who was arrested arrested just a few days before he was to be engaged to his sweetheart to be married, and just before he was arrested, he had been involved in an in a plot to take Hitler's life, to assassinate Hitler. This man who was otherwise a pacifist was involved in the plot to kill Hitler. And for this, he was sentenced to death two years in prison, in a German prison camp. He continued to give comfort and and solace two other prisoners, praying with them, upholding them. And then on on April 8, 1945, just a few days before the Allies came, he was executed. That's sacrifice. That's standing for, for freedom. That's acknowledging that our lives make a difference. And when we give our lives, when we give of our, of our lives, when we give of our stuff, when we give of our substance, when we give of our thought, when we give of our prayers, when we give of our compassion, it matters. It's not just church talk to say that this life is not going out and getting as much as we can out of it, but going out and giving as much as we can to it. In that, we find that God is so good to us. Our lives become filled with gratitude. And we become happy. Happy people are people who are giving of themselves, people who are sacrificing, people who think of others. And do what they can, so that others might be lifted up. That that therein is this this great this great joy that comes from from giving of ourselves from that sacrifice. So God reminds all of the people in a small way. Reminds them all that the freedom that they are entering into is not without a price. There's the blood on the door. And there is the effort to move. And when they emerge, God gives them all kinds of rules, regulations, restrictions. They've just gotten out. It seems so odd that in the midst of the Exodus story are these rules and regulations about how to prepare food and how to do this and how to do that. And we think it's this weird Jewish stuff. We think it's this weird ritual stuff that is meaningless. But the reality is, the story of the Exodus is a story of being free and therefore... How to live and how to worship. Because the the beginning of it all is with God. God starts this whole effort. God is the one who, who comes to Moses. God is the one who hears the oppression of the people. He takes the initiative for our freedom. So out in the desert, as they wander, what they're learning is how they are to live. That's the Ten Commandments and how they are to worship. That's all of the ritual stuff that is in both Exodus and Leviticus, these, these, these rules and regulations about how to worship. And this is something that I don't think we are necessarily better off because we've forgotten this. When we remember how we are to live and we think about it and we are aware of when we do something that is not right and we confess our sin and we feel the, the, the pinch of, of those choices and then we, we realize that when we come to worship we're in the very presence of a holy God. And, and when, we, when we sacrifice, none of that becomes trivial. When we know that there is a price that has been paid, and when we enter into that price, when we walk where Jesus has walked, when we enter into that, that sense that nothing comes to us for nothing but that we enter in and we participate in something that God is doing in the world, then we have, I believe then, a deep sense of what it means to be a holy people, a set-apart people. I never understood, really, when I was like five, six years old, that, that little envelope... Many of you who went to church when you were little kids, had that little envelope. And um, Dad made me put a dime in the envelope every single week. A dime. Not a lot. It's a lot to me, but not a lot. But I do remember in Sunday school class at the First Covenant Church in Spokane, before we actually broke up into classes, we had all the kids together in one big room. And they would pass the plates. And I remember putting that little envelope in the plate. I remember watching the plate come, putting my envelope in it, and then watching it go away. Every single week. Every Sunday morning. And did I want to go to church as a little kid? Are you kidding? Did I want to go to church as a junior high kid? Or as a high school kid? When I had the opportunity, I stopped going. But I I never felt all that good about it. And I came to a point where I, I hated church. Even to the point where as I raised my own children, I separated out An understanding of the church from the faith. The faith is not the church. The church at its best is a vehicle for the enhancement of faith. The church at its worst. We've seen and we are seeing the church at its worst. But I remember as a little boy that when that plate came and I put my envelope in the plate and I saw that plate move on, There was something good about that simple act of sacrifice. That I was not my own. That I had been bought with a price. And the redemption of God that gives us freedom is given to us because of the shedding of blood. Not just the Paschal Lamb but the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world so when we give of ourselves when we remember that sacrifice trivialized sacrifices everything the sacrifice recognized recognizes the goodness of God over all of life. Will you bow with me in prayer? Oh Lord, you have sacrificed for us. You have given all for us, for our redemption and for our lives. And Lord, such love is beyond our comprehension and Lord call us to account with our lives for the price that you have paid for even though we might rebel you love us still even though we run you run us down and even though we deny you do not deny us We thank you, Lord, for the gift that is ours in Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. If you enjoyed today's podcast, there are a few things you can do. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. For more information, you can visit us online at www.naplescommunitychurch.org. If you happen to be visiting Naples, please drop in for our Sunday service at 10 a.m. We'd love to meet you. Thanks again for joining us. Have a fabulous day.